You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. We're going to continue in Acts chapter 5, but we are going to be talking about three things that are vital, and I mean vital, to the life of every believer. It may not be anything brand new that you hear today, but it is a good, constant reminder for each and every one of us. Those things are obedience, wisdom, and zeal. We're going to talk about each of those here in just a second. So our first point this morning is obedience to God and not man. And as we get into the text, before we do that, I want to tell you about a story. There was a married couple. The guy was abusive to his wife. He would physically pound on her when he took out frustrations and and things like that. But he was a godly man. He would quote scripture left and right, this, that, and the other. His wife lived in fear of this guy. And he used the Bible to illustrate his points along with his fists. They get into financial trouble. So he tells his wife, I want you to take a pistol, go down to the corner gas station, and I want you to rob them and take all their money from the cash register. He says, wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. So if you truly follow what the Bible says, you are to submit to me. I'm telling you to go rob this gas station. I need you to go do it. She says, I want to be obedient to my husband. I want to follow what God's word says. I'm supposed to honor my spouse. So what should I do? That's what she's thinking. What should I do? And I want to ask this question. Is it illegal Is it immoral or is it against the word of God? That's a rhetorical question I want you to keep in mind. Let me give you another example. Between 1933 and 1939, Germany enacted hundreds of laws that defined and segregated Jews from the culture. The government made it a law that it was no longer immoral to kill a Jew because what they did was they dehumanized the Jews and said, if you kill them, you're not really killing a human being, you're killing a rodent, vermin. So the German people, okay, blood's not on my hands. The government made laws to make it okay to do that without penalty. What was the result of that? At least six million Jews were slaughtered because of that. Many Christians and theologians oppose this. People like Karl Barth, Martin Niemöller, and we're going to talk about Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He's not here today, but if you ever want to talk about Diedrich Bonhoeffer, I want you to visit with Mr. Dennis Cottrell. He is very knowledgeable on him, but he opposed Adolf Hitler, 
the Nazi regime, he opposed all of that from a theological standpoint along with those other men. And I want to put this, this quote up here on the screen. This is from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. It says, Judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we bind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled as we are. So what he is talking about, keep that in mind that he is looking at the Nazis, that they were dehumanizing God's chosen people to make it okay to judge them and dehumanize them. So again, I ask this question, is what we're doing illegal, immoral, or against the word of God? So I gave you two examples. The woman who was forced by her husband to go and rob that liquor store, or what did I say, convenience store. That was the first. The second is the Nazi party that they dehumanized people to make it okay to murder someone. Again, the question, the question is it illegal? So in the case of, of the woman, the wife, it is illegal for her to go and to rob a store at gunpoint. You can do it, but there's going to be a consequence. So when she's struggling with that, well, I want to obey my husband. I want to be obedient. I'm supposed to submit to my husband. The law is going to supersede that. Same thing with the Nazi party. It was immoral for them to do what they did, but the government said it was okay. So someone who struggled with looking at a Jew, if you were German and you looked at a Jew, you're like, okay, that's a human being. That's not vermin. That is not a rodent. Morally, I know that they're not, but the government says it's okay to do that. So again, the question, is it illegal, immoral, or against the word of God? Now, these two examples, why are we talking about this? The same type of struggle is what the apostles were dealing with, just like this. The government, the governing body was saying, don't do this. But they asked themselves that question. I'm reading into the text, by the way. They didn't say this, but is it illegal, immoral, or against the word of God? They struggled with that. And as Coach taught last Sunday... We had Peter and John, they were arrested, and they were explicitly told, do not preach the name of Jesus. They were arrested, they were broken out of prison by an angel, they were brought back before the governing body, the Sanhedrin. But before we get into the text, I want to remind you of this of John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, and we've got it up here on the screen. This is Jesus talking. He says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world will love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Here's the key. This is what helped the apostles mentally prepare for what was coming down the pipeline. Verse 20, if they persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So the apostles, they know that persecution is coming. And here they are in the thick of it. Yet they were commanded to preach Christ to the world. So God himself, Jesus Christ, with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, said, I want you guys to build my church. You guys are going to do this. Persecution's coming, but I want you guys to do this. So when they were arrested, did they keep quiet? Let's find out. And this is picking up, I'm going to overlap a little bit with where Coach left off, but this is Acts chapter uh, 5, starting in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And I want to stop right there. So again, going back to that question, that rhetorical question, is it illegal for them to preach the word of God or preach the name of Christ? It wasn't illegal in a legal sense. They were just told not to do it. Was it immoral for them to go out and preach Christ? Absolutely not. Quite the opposite. Were they going against the word of God? If they would have said, yep, okay, the Sanhedrin told me I can't preach anymore, so, you know, that becomes their authority, not Christ. So they were truly the words of God, said, I want you to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and where? To the ends of the earth. That was their command. That was what God told them to do. They were to preach Christ and to be his witnesses. So pick it up in verse 30. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. That's the third time in, what, three chapters that they have talked to the Jews, directly to them, saying, here's what you did. Verse 31, then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who was given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. And that's where we ended last week, that they were full of indignation, that they were ready to take these guys out so that this movement, which we're going to know later as the way, gets squashed, that it gets contained to where it can't do anything else. The apostles remained obedient to God and their mission, which is to make Christ known in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. Point number two, good teachers... Give good wisdom, so we should listen to it. Let's pick this up in Acts 5.34. But one member, talking about the the Sanhedrin, which is the, the high council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care of what you are planning to do to these men. Now, Gamaliel was a very, 
very well-respected rabbi. He was the grandson of Rabbi Hillel, if you know anything about him. But what's also interesting about Gamaliel is he was a Pharisee. He was not a Sadducee. As Coach pointed out last week, that the, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So when Peter and, and John are saying that Jesus is now resurrected, sitting at the right hand of the Father, it's easy for the Sadducees to be like, nah, that story's a fable. That can't happen because they didn't believe in it. But you have a Pharisee who did believe in the resurrection say, okay, I see what you're saying. But he was part of this high council. He was a student, truly a student of the Old Testament or Yahweh. He knew the power of Jehovah God. He knew that. He knew that a Messiah was coming, a Redeemer is coming. He was smart enough to know that. Did he believe that? No, he didn't. But what he did was he trained many, many people. So what he does is he gives two examples showing, and basically it's, it's this. If this is of man, them thinking, okay, this is a good revolt against Rome, then let it be, it's going to die. But he was smart enough to say, if this is of God, there ain't a thing that we can do to stop it. He was a very, very smart guy. Look at Acts 5.36. Gamaliel says this, he says, Some time ago, there was that fellow, it's pronounced Thutis, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him. But he was killed, and all of his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. That's not, I, I would say our Judas, but not Judas Iscariot. There was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So what he does is he gives two Real-life examples that all of these Sanhedrin would know. The first one, he got about 400 people. Well, what's the size of the church right now, roughly? You have 2,000 or 3,000 born again. Then you have 2,000, and that's just men. It could be a lot more women and children. But the church is ballooning to a huge, huge thing. But Gamaliel's point is, if this was just the apostles getting together saying, hey, let's try this, he's like, just let it, let it fizzle out. It's going to fizzle out. But what's interesting is in both of these examples, Gamaliel points out the leaders of these were killed. Was it by the governing authorities? We don't know. We have Thutis and we have Judas of Galilee. They got people to follow. They had influence. But the leadership went away. What's the old snake saying? You cut off a snake's head and the rest of them will die. That kind of thinking is what happened. If you guys are familiar with the historian Josephus, why did I say that word? Josephus. I said Josephus, Texan. Historian Josephus references at least 
get this, 10,000 insurrections. 10,000 insurrections against Rome. 10,000 of them failed. They all failed against the Roman Empire. They didn't have the numbers to support what it is that they were wanting to, to do. More importantly, they were not of God. Now, it's important for us to know that what was happening at the early church is still applicable today. This is not an insurrection that you think of when you think of that word. We are not trying to overthrow a government as Christians. They were not trying to do that as well. They were simply trying to preach redemption through Christ. They weren't a political organization. They weren't, you know, trying to outnumber those on the, you know, councils and all of that kind of stuff. They were not revolting against anyone except the culture, the culture at large on the planet, not just Rome. Gamaliel knew this and offered this advice. I want you to watch. He is a very, very wise man. He says, so my advice, in light of these two examples that I just read you, my advice is this. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning on doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them to never again speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Now, we may be thinking, okay, well, that was good that they weren't killed because they wanted to kill them. But what they did was, once you decide to kill somebody, not that I know, but once you decide to kill somebody, everything they do irritates you. And you have that rage built up in you. So what did they do? Did they just say, don't speak Jesus anymore? Don't let the door hit you on the way out. No, they took out some of that frustration on the apostles. They flogged them. Now, we know that Jesus himself was flogged. Now, the Romans, they were very, very cruel when it came to punishment and torture. If you look at just the, the, the sheer physics of someone hanging on a cross, you die of asphyxiation. What was that? Asphyxiation? Oh, I can't even say it now. Asphyxiate. What Tom said. You can't get air to your lungs. They would nail them to the cross. Missing major veins and arteries to where you don't bleed out. That you suffer before you die. They were very good at that. But what they did when they flogged someone, they would have strips of leather. They would put bone and metal fragments on the end so that when they whipped you, it would tear out chunks of your flesh. That's what happened to these apostles here in this account. That they flogged them. That they beat them 
put their, made their backs raw to where you couldn't even put on anything over because it would hurt so bad. That's what they did. So I don't want to minimize the importance of exactly what happened here. But the Apostle Paul, as we continue through Acts, you're going to see Scripture records that he was flogged here. A couple months later, he was flogged here. A couple years later, he was flogged here. He was flogged several times. I couldn't imagine his back. So again, Gamaliel is a very, very wise man, but he's also very, very important to this story. Why is Gamaliel so important? Let me show you Acts chapter 22. I'm jumping ahead in the story. Acts chapter 22. Starting in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul has his event on the road to Damascus, his conversion. He tells it there. Luke tells his story there. But Luke also records Paul recording his testimony of, of that event two other times. This is the last time that he tells it. This is Acts chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under who? Gamaliel. So the Apostle Paul learned at the feet of Gamaliel. This man with all of this wisdom, just because this person has wisdom, does that mean it works through osmosis and gets you over here? No. Paul did not take his rabbi's wisdom with this group of believers. How do we know? Again, I'm getting ahead in the, in the story. At the end of Acts chapter, I believe it's 7 or 8, Paul is there. He begins to persecute the church. He's there when Stephen gets stoned. He had zeal. That's a word that we don't hear often in America, is to be zealous for something or zeal um, it means great energy and enthusiasm for a cause or an objective Paul had that but what God did was he took Paul with all of that zeal and just rerouted him said nope grabbed him by the shoulders said no no I want you to do this right here use that zeal for my good how do you think the word of God spread to the Gentiles so effectively and efficiently? Zeal. God knew that Paul had that. Paul used it for, for bad early in his career. But when God rerouted his thinking and had that conversion with him, when Jesus himself shows up to Paul on the road to Damascus and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? See, the church is an extension of Christ. He is the head of this church, the church. So when Paul was persecuting, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? God used that zeal 
that great energy and enthusiasm for a cause or, or an objective, he used that for his good. So what can we learn from this? Getting back to our, our second point of wisdom and taking wisdom, leaders and mentors, especially spiritual ones, have wisdom and insight. When you ask for advice about something, think of it as your job, that you have something, oh, I've got this situation come up, coming up. You go to someone that you trust so that you can hear what they have to say. And then good advice is one of those things that a lot of people give, but they don't often take. Or maybe it's just me. Thank you, Tom. I want you to follow these steps. It is good to hear from them. In fact, the Bible tells us to seek out godly wisdom. This next step is very important for us. Pray about it. Pray about the advice or the wisdom that you just received. And then become zealous. Have that zeal about what your next steps are going to be. And what you're thinking about in your brain right now is different for every single person in this room. You may be thinking of a work example right now. Some of you may be thinking, okay, there's a, a something in the church right now, or whether it's in your family right now. Everybody has a different thing. But the point is to seek out wisdom from those who have either been there or who understand what you're going through. Advice is just advice. You don't have to take anything. And don't just take someone's advice just to take it. Because guess what? I'm going to be wrong sometimes. Eric is going to be wrong. Tom, Dan, Dennis, your parents, everyone is going to be wrong at some point. So if you're taking advice just to take it, that's the flesh. But if you pray about your decisions and seek out godly wisdom, and when you look at things in a spiritual way, not a fleshly way, when you have someone who understands that, we talked about this at, at our, our men's event the other, I guess, a couple weeks ago, that you may be struggling with something. When you have someone who looks at that problem in a spiritual way, not a fleshly way. The flesh says, okay, I'm failing in this. I'm ashamed. I can't. I'm failing. I don't want others to think that I'm a failure. That's the flesh. The spirit says, I see that this person is struggling. I'm going to lock arms with them, and I'm going to pray with them and pray on their behalf because they're spiritually weak right now. And as Christians, what we should do is pull up those who are spiritually weak when we are spiritually strong. Because guess what? The shoe is going to be on the other foot at some point. When we have someone that we trust spiritually to pull us up, but also to admit when we are spiritually weak. That wasn't in my notes. You get that for free here this morning. But again, my point is pray about your decisions to seek out godly wisdom from others. Those who have been there, those who can understand it in the spiritual sense. But pray about what you hear 
It may not always be the best advice. Maybe good intentions, but it may not be good advice. But pray about it. Pray about that. Because if you think of something out of your head, it may be of the flesh. And if it's of the flesh, it's going to do exactly what it says here. But if it is of God, there ain't anything we can do to stop it. Amen? If it's from your head, it may fail. If it's God, there is nothing that can stop it. Last point, number three. The zeal of preaching Christ. Let's look at verse 41. It says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer such disgrace for the name of Jesus. Wait a minute. They just got flogged. Their backs are raw and bloody. Did I read that right? Rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They saw things in a spiritual way. They understood that this was their mission. Their mission is to go and preach Christ to everyone. If that means they took a licking and kept on walking, perfect. They continued... Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. What does that say? Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God's anointed one. The apostles knew that it was God's will for them to continue doing what they were to do. Preach Jesus Christ. Up here on the screen, I've got 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I love this, this verse. It says, The message of the cross, or the work of Jesus Christ, is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But who are being saved, but we who are being saved, know that it is the very power of God. That in and of itself is awesome. I, I love that verse. But I want to continue. Look at, we're going to put the next one up. This is starting down in verse 22. And I want you to see if this sounds familiar. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Watch this. In light of what we're looking at in Acts chapter 5, I want you to look at this. Verse 25, the foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. Ouch, that hurt. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatness of human strength or the greatest of human strength. So what does that mean? We're nothing. We can come up with the best ideas, the best plans, all of this kind of stuff. God's plans are much better. They are going to trump ours every single time. So we're talking about zeal. Why should we have zeal? The message of Peter and John 
right here is the same message that we have. Our job is to preach Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one of God, and that he is the Savior and the Christ. That is our job. Our job is to not go out and to talk a bunch of people into joining this church or joining Christianity or all of this kind of stuff. Our job is to take what we have heard, our witness, with the empowering of the Holy Spirit to go outside of these walls and to preach Jesus as the Christ. It's not to convert people. Our job is to say, from my point of view, here's what the Lord has done with me. And not to do it sheepishly of, well, I, I don't want to offend. I, 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 don't, I don't know how you can humanly reason all of that. That's exactly what 1 Corinthians was talking about. The Jews needed a sign, and they were offended when the gospel was preached. The Romans or the Greeks, they wanted to understand it on an intellectual level. So, in other words, people are going to get offended when you preach Christ. But also the, the Greeks, the human wisdom, those people who try to reason, ah, I'm too smart to believe in a God that you know, would allow suffering and all this. You don't understand God. You don't understand Scripture. They're going to think it's nonsense. That's not our problem. Our, our job is to go out and preach Christ. And I want to close with this. This is found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says in verse 37, he said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. And I want to point out just a couple of very obvious things. Whose fields? The Lord's. Whose harvest? His. To recap for today, the harvest is outside of these walls. We are to look to God's word to see what we can draw out from the text. We don't look at ourselves and read into the text. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be obedient to the word of God. We are to seek out godly wisdom and to pray about it to where it becomes spiritual wisdom and ask the Lord for wisdom. And we are to have zeal. We are to be zealous in our lives. It should be like that roaring fire inside of us that it is the Holy Spirit working in the life of every believer. These three attributes need to be vibrant in the life of every follower of Christ. And if that is you, those three things are very important. Again, like I said at the beginning, this may not be anything new, but it's certainly good for us to hear, to be reminded, where is my zeal? Where is it? you lost it find it pray that the lord will help us with that heavenly father we thank you for today father we thank you for this reminder from your word that we are to remain obedient to you and father that we are to seek out godly wisdom that we are to seek 
you for that wisdom, and you may use different people in our lives. Maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a a trusted person, friend of the family. It may be one of the elders here at the church. Father, that we are to seek you, and you may use those people in our lives. And also for that zeal. Father, I pray that each and every one of us, myself included, Father, that that zeal become very present in our lives, that it remain on the tip of our tongue, at the front of our mind, because we don't want to be complacent. We want to remain zealous. We want to remain passionate for what it is that you have done for us. Your work on the cross Father, we don't ever want to take that for granted or allow ourselves to become complacent because you are worthy of so much more. And Father, I just ask that you help us in these three areas that we remain reliant on you at all times for each of these attributes. And Father, we say thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.